This message by Jake Simmons was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Jake serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Good morning. Go ahead and turn in your Bible, if you have one, to Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. This morning, we will be wrapping up our series on the Sermon on the Mount. As we look at the final words of Christ. Uh, we'll be get, begin reading on, at verse 24, reading through verse 29. Matthew 7, beginning verse 24. This is the Word of God. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the words of Christ, which indeed is the very word of God, and may God, through the illuminating work of his Spirit, give us ears to hear what our Lord has spoken. So we've now come to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, and Jesus, being the greatest preacher, knows how to end a sermon. He knows how to end a sermon. It's memorable. It's climactic. It drives us to self-examination. It presents us with decisions and choices based on his teaching. Our text this morning, it's the final of the four gracious warnings that Jesus made to his hearers beginning back in verse 13. Zach preached on this a couple of weeks ago. And in each of these warnings, Jesus offers his hearer a pair of contrasts. There's the broad and the narrow way in verses 13 and 14. There's two types of trees in verses 15 to 20. There are two types of claims in verses 21 to 23. And and in each of these warnings, Jesus is wanting to present us with decisions. He's wanting to to press us to make a choice. He's wanting to press us to make a decision based on what his teaching offers us, what his teaching demands. And what better time for us as a church to hear these words of Christ now? At the outset of a new year, when we are bombarded with all the emails, with all the offers to sign up for this plan or to begin losing this weight by doing this methodology, what a wonderful time for us to silence all the, all the voices, all these things that are pressing us for a decision and to focus our attention on the words of our Savior. They are pressing us for a decision. A Columbia researcher reportedly found that the average person makes about 70 conscious decisions every day. I don't know how they came up with that number, but we will run with it. That comes to 500 decisions per week. 25,550 decisions a year. 
In over 77 years, the average life expectancy in the U.S. for a person, that is 1,900,067,350 decisions. So almost 2 million conscious decisions that we will make if we live to be 77. One philosopher said, life is a sum of all your choices. You put those 2 million choices together and you really begin to see who you are. You begin to see what is your life really about? What are you building your life on? Who are you truly living for? And this really is the question that Jesus is pressing us to. He is wanting to press us for an answer. Not because he's worried about himself, but that he is worried about us. He wants us to press this question, press us to a decision before it is too late. Recall in verses 22 to 23 of chapter 7, he just made one of the most serious and sobering statements of all of his teaching. He said that on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Yes, this is a serious warning. It's one that is to be taken seriously, but it's also a very gracious warning. It's one that begins to beg the question, what will the Lord say to me on that day? And how can I be sure that he will not say to me, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness? Well, how in God's kind providence that this portion of Scripture that we get to look at today, that we get to consider today, Jesus drives us and makes clear, this is the one. This is the one. Do you want to hear, enter in to my joy? Well, build your life on the rock of Christ. He wants us to choose wisely this morning. This is a gracious warning. Do you want your, true, your life to truly matter? Do you want your life to truly last Do you not on that last day want to hear these words, depart from me, I never knew you. Then, today, let today be the day that you choose to build your house on the rock. If I could capture in a simple, single sentence what Jesus is offering us today, I think this is what he would say. He would say, genuine belief puts Christ's teaching into practice. Genuine belief puts Christ's teaching into practice. To practice, Jesus, he vividly illustrates this truth for us through contrasting two builders who are building two houses. These houses look very much the same, but on closer inspection, they contain one very subtle but life-altering difference, the foundation on which they are built. So three points or questions that were going to help us to not only study this text, but let this text study us to examine our lives, and by God's grace, we will seek to follow, to put into practice Christ's teaching. So first, is your life built on the right foundation? Now this contrast, the final one, is between hearing and doing. These two houses look identical except for one key difference. They have the same materials, they have the same rain, they have the same flood, the same wind, but there is different foundations. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. So Jesus, in this parable, he presents us with two builders, one wise and the other foolish. 
So what, what is the difference here? What is he trying to get at? Well, we have to keep in mind, who is he speaking to? What, what is the point of having all these similarities, but this one significant difference? Well, we have to keep in mind, who is the audience of this sermon? Who is listening to this sermon? And we have to recall that Jesus primarily is addressing his disciples. He is primarily looking at his 12 disciples whom he has called and is following, who are following him. And yes, we are told later that there is a larger crowd in verse 28. Yes, there's more who have gathered and we will consider what they had to say about Christ's teaching. But in this moment, what Jesus is doing is that he's looking these men in the eye. And he is addressing them, saying, this is the one who truly follows me. This is the one who genuinely believes. This is the one who is truly my disciple. This is the one who truly hears. Jesus spent a lot of his time teaching. He spent a lot of time teaching these men. And what he wants is he wants these men to truly, to truly hear. He wants them not only to hear, but in what we will see in this text is that true hearing actually leads to actual doing. That to truly hear Christ is then to actually put into practice what he teaches. So Jesus, he's not looking at the Pharisees. He's not looking at the skeptics. He's not looking at those who are not part of his kingdom. He's looking at the ones who are saying that, yes, I follow this man's teaching. And then he is saying, well, how do you know that you are the wise man versus the foolish man. How do you know? How can you be certain? How can you be confident that you will not hear the words that are just echoing? Just imagine echoing in the, in the minds and the ears of the disciples. Depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Oh, how do I know if that's me? How do I know if that's me? Well, let me tell you about the wise man. Let me tell you about the foolish man. Jesus is looking at his disciples. He is looking at us this morning. Martin Lloyd-Jones write this, We cling to the notion that the difference between the true Christian and pseudo-Christian is obvious. Our Lord's whole point, however, is that this is a most subtle matter. It is not obvious either in the case of the men or the houses. If we do not stress that point, we miss the whole purpose of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Our Lord emphasizes this element of subtlety everywhere. His whole object is is to enable us to detect the difference between the two so that we may safeguard ourselves against the consequences of the false position while there is still time. This is a gracious warning. This is something that God is wanting to put before us and say, hey, the the difference here is subtle. The house may look the same. The teaching that you hear is the same. But once you begin to dig deeper and you begin to see more, what you begin to see is there is actually a significant difference. And that difference makes everything change. So this is something we need to ask ourselves, whether this is the first time we are asking us this question, what is my life about? Maybe this is the first moment where you've ever considered, what am I building my life on? Or... If this is a question that you ask yourself at the beginning of every year, what am I building this next year on? We have to consistently address our souls. We have to consistently ask, whose teaching am I following? Who is the one that I'm building on? Whose influence has the greatest on my life? 
we're all hearing the same teaching day in and day out. Each man is reading the same books, uses the same language in how they communicate. They attend the same church. They both completed the Heart for Scripture plan this past year. Yet the difference between them, these two men, these two women, lies in what is not visible, but what lies beneath. What's driving all this? What is driving all they're doing? What is, what is driving their lives? What are they building their lives upon? What lies underneath the surface and what separates the two is their obedience. It is their obedience. It is their doing. Jesus here is saying that our hearing is not enough, but there is, a, there is an obedience that follows as we look to and trust in and rest in and follow his words. And Jesus here, he's not requiring sinless perfection. He is not saying that this is salvation by works, that the one who builds his life on the rock, he has to follow my teaching perfectly. No. What he is saying, though, is that real genuine belief, real genuine faith, it flows from that, flows actual works. Listen, this is what James says. He was a disciple of Christ. He said, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so Jesus and James are addressing the same issue here. What does the real thing look like? What does genuine faith look like? What does it mean to be this wise man? What does it mean to be the fool? What are, what are these, these categories, these differences between the two? They both are hearing the same message. They're both saying that they believe the same message, but the difference is in the actual doing. It is in the way that they are spending their lives. It is in the way that the, the day-to-day, ordinary decisions that they are making. So this is not a legalistic call to what you have to do. This isn't, this isn't a call to where you have to do the right thing and then Jesus will accept you. No, this is a call to say, if you love my teaching, if you love me, if you've trusted in me for the forgiveness of your sins, if you believe that I am your Savior, then I'm also your Lord, and you will follow my teaching. You will follow what I have to say. That is going to have to be the foundation of your life. This is what the wise man does. His authority and his life is built not on his own decisions. It's not built on what he thinks. It's built on the authority of another. The, the wise man says that I look to another to live my life. I listen to another authority outside of myself, the one who created me, the one who redeemed me, and the one who now is calling me to live in his kingdom. The kingdom that I live, the one, the day that I'm living for, the wise man says, is, it's not about what I want at the end of the day. It's about the God that rescued me and made me his own. And now I have the joy. I not only get to hear this teaching, but I get to follow. I get to put into practice. I, my life is now transformed because not only of what I have heard, but how I am living But this is not the position of the foolish builder. The foolish builder is only a hearer. But at the end of the day, he's only interested in what is easy, immediate, whatever best suits himself. Foolishness here is similar to what is portrayed in the wisdom literature, especially the book of Proverbs. If you read Proverbs, you'll see that there's there's wisdom and then there's foolishness. There's the wise man and the fool. And what they're referencing to wisdom and foolishness are not merely intellectual. This doesn't have to do with just what you know. Remember, they're hearing. They're hearing the same teaching. They're reading the same books. They're, they may be attending the same church. They're, they're, these men are sitting in front of the Savior listening. 
But this, so this isn't an intellectual exercise. What Jesus is getting at, this is a moral question. This is an ethical question. This is a spiritual question. So as you look at your life, as you look at the life of the wise, what you see is this man that is living, transformed. His mind is being renewed and his life is being transformed by the authority of Christ. But when you see the fool, what you see is someone who despises this wisdom. He does, at the end of the day, what he wants. Jesus uses this parable of the fool building on the sand to highlight just the stupidity of such a move. He highlights the foolishness of what this man is thinking. How can two men who are hearing the same message, who are hearing the same teaching, come to so two significant different foundations? How does that happen? How is that possible? Well, it's because of the fool he hears, but he doesn't do. At the end of the day, what the fool wants to do is he's going to do what he wants to do. At the end of the day, the fool is in his heart, is going to say, oh, there's no God. I'm going to control and do what I want to do with my life. He is a fool because there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is destruction. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So just showing up and hearing the instruction, that's not enough. The fool, he knows the instruction. He hears the wisdom, but he doesn't like it. He despises it. One of the characteristics of a fool is that they're always in a hurry. They're always to the next thing. They're always going to the next thing. They're always impatient. They're always, they're always making shortcuts that suit their situations. I'm sure you know people who, who may be like this. They live with reckless abandonment. That, it highlights the, the mentality of their life. The world is their oyster. Life and people are there to serve their purposes. They don't think through things. They have no fear of God. When you look at their life, what you see is this person really loves themselves. That's what you see. Is this person, his life or her life or what they are really about, at the end of the day, as you look at the bottom of it all, is that they are living for their own desires. The kingdom that they are building is not the kingdom of another, but it's the kingdom of themselves. So while they hear the new teaching that Christ made in Matthew 5, 28, that the lust is just, in, just as evil as adultery, they continue to browse and click on their phones or computers. They don't, they don't, who is this really hurting, they think? Instead of asking and seeking and praying to the Lord to take matters into their own hands, they, take, they do whatever shady deals are necessary to at least get the business deal they need. The prayers only go up when it fits the occasion. Maybe it's a church, maybe small group, but there's no real need for ongoing prayer in, this, in the fool's life. He's in too big of a hurry. He doesn't have time to pray, only when it's convenient. There's a profession of belief with his mouth, but in his heart of hearts, in his day-to-day -day life, what you see is a house that may look like yours, look like the fool's, but it really is built on sand. It's not built on the rock of Christ and his word. The way of wisdom is much slower. He's okay with having to wait. The wise man is okay with seeking the Lord. He is okay to wait and trusting in God's authority and God's wisdom. He is quick to not make his own decision, but involve others in those decision-making. He's not being driven by impulse or what's easier. Isaiah 28, 16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Whoever believes in him will not be in a hurry. 
He will not be in a hurry. He will trust that God has laid a foundation, that God has made a way, and he can trust in God's providence. As he reads God's word, he is filled with faith that God will uphold and keep no good thing from him. A businessman, well known for his ruthlessness, once announced to writer Mark Twain, before I die, I mean to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I'm going to climb Mount Sinai, read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top. I have a better idea, Twain replied. You could stay in Boston and keep them. First Samuel 15, a biblical illustration. King Saul was given strict orders by the Lord through the prophet Samuel to destroy all the livestock after defeating the, the Amalekites. Samuel and the Lord couldn't, could not have been more clear. He said, after you defeat them, you, do, you are to destroy everything. This didn't make much sense to Saul, to the king. And a lot of obedience, a lot of, at times, from the Lord will not make sense. It will not be convenient. But Saul was wondering, why destroy all this? So Saul kept it. And the prophet Samuel came to him. He said, Saul, the Lord commanded you to destroy all this livestock. Why haven't you? Saul said, oh, I thought we could offer a lot of it as sacrifices to the Lord. Samuel looks. He looks at Saul and he says, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And Here's what, what Samuel was saying to him. He's saying, Saul, you fool. The Lord doesn't want the sheep. He wanted you. He, he, he's not, he doesn't need sheep. He doesn't, he doesn't need the Amalekites' sheep. But what he wants of his king that he appointed is for that king to obey his word. To obey is to better than sacrifice. The Lord this year, I'm not sure what you have planned for the new year, but, but let's make it our aim, not only to be hearers of this Sermon on the Mount, but to be doers of it. Let's not move on too quickly from our Lord's teaching. Let's not simply be the fool who heard and built on a foundation of sand, but let's be the wise man. Let's, let's be the wise man who was a hearer and a doer. I'm looking forward to returning to the Lord's Prayer for four weeks in January as a church. Imagine, imagine if as a church, if we were just to be faithful to pray as the Lord taught his disciples. Imagine the effect, imagine the salt and light of the earth that might happen as genuine believers who put into practice Christ's teaching. Imagine what the Lord could accomplish. But living this way will also prepare us for the inevitable storms that Christ says will come. Point two, are you ready for life's inevitable storms? Happy New Year. 2023 is going to be filled with storms. For my dear friend Vinny, that came just a few minutes in 2023 as the beloved Buckeyes lost to Georgia. But he's here this morning and he's standing on the rock of Christ. The parable of the two builders contrasts the wise and foolish, they're, they're, but there is a parallel experience they both share. They, they may be different, building on different foundations, but they both experience this great storm that is to come. Jesus says, the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. The same storm. Two men built houses on different foundations. One on the rock and the other on the sand. The rains fell on both. The floods rose against those houses. The winds beat. The fact that these houses faced the same storm, it, it 
means, the storm teaches, that storms in life are inevitable. They will happen. You can be righteous. You can be wicked. You can be a wise or foolish. You can build your life on the rock or the sand. Storms are going to come. Storms of life are going to come. This clearly, this clearly debunks the myth that Christians, as we follow Christ and hear his teaching, that we will not experience suffering. That is a lie. As we follow Christ, in fact, Jesus says that we will experience suffering. There is suffering unique to Christians that we will experience in his name and for his glory. The book of Job says, but man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Job 14.1 says, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. This is the fact of life. Storms will come. Your faith in God will not prevent the storms to come. They will come. D.A. Carson says, all you have to do is live long enough and you will experience suffering. So if not, it is not if a storm will come, but when will it come? The topography in Israel is chiefly desert. What you will find in Palestine are what they call wadis, W-A-D-I, wadis. A wadi is a dry gulch. It is an empty creek bed that is only filled with water under extreme rainfall. In Israel, there are two main times of the year where rains come, the former and the latter rains. But for the most part of the, the year, there is little rain, it is dry. But when these rains come, it is hard, it is intense, there's a lot of water, and the ground is unable to absorb or saturate the moisture from the rain. And so what happens is the water becomes like a rushing stream. And so all these wadis are filled with water. This rain, this, this rainstorm comes, and then there's this, these dry gulches of wadis that are just filled with water, and they're flowing, and to be in the wake of those, they will just destroy you. It is likely that it is this type of area where the fool built his house. It is likely that this is where the fool built his house. And he knew, people around him knew, this, this is a, an area where a lot of water will come through. There's a lot of area. This is an area where there's a lot of wadis and there's this torrent of water that is going to come. And if your house is not built on a firm foundation, it will destroy your house. But this foolish man did not listen. He was in a hurry. He had to get it done. He, he didn't really care what outside counsel had to do, he, he, he wanted to simply build his house. And so he built his house, but then the storm came. And yes, while the weather was sunny and nice, the house was fine. But once the rain became, it began to beat on that house. And his house did not withstand the storm. The floodwaters began to rise in the riverbed and they began to beat on that house and the winds began to blow and it came to beat on that house and then the inevitable happens. The house falls and great was the fall of it. Storms have a way of revealing things in our lives, doesn't it? Even things that may not be apparent. I mean, look at just Christmas. Look at the blizzards. And consider just how much havoc was wreaked as people were trying to travel, as people's lives were lost, as families were separated. Storms have a way of disrupting our daily life and revealing things. It seems that Southwest Airlines Foundation was built on sands in light of the, all the flights they had to cancel. Couldn't fly anybody. Couldn't find a pilot for anywhere. But it's not, it's not simply that the blizzard 
was the problem. The blizzard, the storm, the storm of life, it reveals, it exposes what we're vulnerable to. Storms have a way of showing our vulnerabilities and weaknesses, but they also, they also reveal our faith, our character, what we're hoping in. They do show what kind of foundation our lives are built on. And so the storms are coming. Are you prepared this year to experience storms if they come? Are you prepared to suffer? If there's physical or financial trials that come, if the diagnosis comes, what will you turn to in that moment? We have to remember in this moment, we have to remember that both of these men that are building these houses, there's a lot similar about both of them. They went to the same church. They gave tithes. They served in ministry. They lived morally. They claimed to love the Lord. If you had known them, you would have assumed they were both righteous. But they were two very different men. One was wise, the other foolish. One was saved, the other was not. One was righteous, the other was wicked. But nobody knew the difference. Nobody knew the difference until the storm hit. Until the storm came. It's easy to fool your pastors. It's easy to fool your family, your friends, and associates. It's it's even easy to deceive and fool ourselves. But when the storms come, what those storms reveal is who you truly are. It will reveal what you are really made of. So remember, this is a gracious warning. This is something that Christ is giving us to draw us back to himself. This is an invitation for us to examine. It's a, it, to examine our lives, to examine what are we hoping in? What are we looking to? And, and also with this promised storm, it's, it, in the background of all this is that there is this judgment. There is this day that is coming. There is this, this day that will be a storm that, that no one will be able to escape. And it is the day where we will stand before Christ and we will experience him as judge. Jesus talks of that day when we stand before him and all that is hidden will be made plain. The foundation of our lives, it will either crumble in that moment or we will be able to withstand that moment depending on did we have genuine belief in him? Did we have genuine belief that we put into practice? How can we know that we genuinely believed? Well, we begin to think about, oh, I treasured Christ. I lived for Christ. When, when all around my soul gives way, he then was all my hope and stay. It was on Christ, the solid rock, that I built my life. I, I, I believed the promise that he was never going to leave me nor forsake me. And I withstood and I fought the good fight. I, I ran the race. I persevered. All trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. All because he was my Savior. While the fool's foundation quickly crumbles, the wise man's home is able to withstand this onslaught of the storm. Those who have saving faith, they will be able to endure. The storms will come, but there is a hope that they have. There is a confidence that they have in the Lord. God has purposes and plans for them in their suffering. Romans 5 says this, not only that... Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. This is what the wise man does. He rejoices in his sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And this room, this church is filled with faces who have experienced the storms of life, who have experienced hardship, who have experienced 
loss. But they are people who have built their lives on the rock and their faith has not lessened but only has grown. They have shined brightly as they have faced days upon days, years upon years of hardship, of trials, of questions, of what is to come. And even in the face of death itself, they were able to stand upon the rock of Christ. Even death could not shake their faith. Psalm 37, 37 says this, Mark the perfect man and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. The wise man has a peaceful life. His house, even though the storms come, withstands because he has and is connected to the prince of peace, Christ himself. He has not only heard the words of Christ, but he has put, applied them to his life. So how? What does it look like for you this coming year? What are ways which you can hold on to the promises of God? Not only knowing them in your mind, but putting them and treasuring them in your heart by faith. What does it look like for you to prepare for suffering, to build your life on the rock of Christ? What does it look like for you to think about that if the storms come, if suffering come, if trials come, how, what does obedience look like? How can I live this life? How can I prepare for this life knowing that that day is coming? It's taking Jesus' words seriously. The Lord promises to never leave nor forsake us. He promises to always be there. I love the story of, of Jim Elliott, the missionary who he went and he was going to share the gospel and he went to this tribe and he was with this tribe and, they, and as he's sharing the gospel, they murder this man. They murder him. But he says, he writes this in his journal, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So in that moment, building his life on the, on the rock as he is obeying Christ's call. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna share the gospel. I'm gonna be a light to the nations. I'm gonna go, even death itself. He says, they can have my life, but they can't take me. I am my Savior's. To live as Christ, to die as gain. He died faithfully preaching, obeying his Savior. This is what Christ is pushing us to, to count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of gaining Christ. And this leads to our last point. Who preaches like this? Who preaches like this? Matthew adds two verses, verses 28 and 29. He said, Jesus finished these sayings. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And so this is a, this is a transition statement. So this is a moment where Matthew is informing the reader that, hey, he is going to shift now from this teaching to something else, but, but he's, he's doing more than that. This isn't just, a, this isn't just throwaway language. This isn't just something where, where Matthew's like, all right, Jesus is done. We're going to move on to something else. No, what Matthew is highlighting is the effect, is the effect of how Jesus taught on the crowds. He highlights in these verses not only the message that was preached, but the preacher. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, When we consider the Sermon on the Mount, we are never to stop, even with the moral, ethical, spiritual teaching. We are to go beyond all these things, wonderful though they are, and vital as they are to the person of the preacher himself. So that is where Christ is taking us. He is taking us to himself. He is saying that you can build your life on me, on this teaching, because what you are building on is the preacher. He is the only man. He, he has all authority has been given to him. 
unlike the scribes who have an authority outside of themselves, even as me and the pastors here, we have an authority that we stand over. Christ himself can say, you have heard it was said, well, I say this. He preached and taught like no one they had ever heard because he was unlike any preacher that we had ever seen. The crowds were astonished. They were seeing someone with authority. They were seeing with someone that were not just has a regular teaching that they were accustomed to, but they were hearing this man has authority. He speaks as God speaks. He speaks as one, and they were astonished. And Jesus is using his authority this morning not to burden us. Jesus here, he, he, he's not saying that. He, he actually used his authority. He actually used his life. He actually used all that the Father had given him so that we might know him. He, he gave us the Sermon on the Mount, not just so we have principles to live by, not just so we have this ethical teaching that many know. He gave us the Sermon on the Mount so that we might know him. He gave us the Sermon on the Mount, not so as this burden that we have to go to and put on and try to live out. No, he said, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And do you want rest for your souls for 2023? Then not only read the Sermon on the Mount, but genuinely believe what Christ has to say in it and put it to practice. Enjoy our Savior's teaching. Be amazed that Christ, he not only came with authority to teach us, but he came and used his authority and used his position, used his calling and said, my life is not my own. I have come to save this people. I have come because knowing that you, the people that he is speaking to, he is looking at these men in the eye, knowing that they are not able in and of themselves to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he looks at them and says, I'm going to make a way. And you are going to be able to found your life on my teaching. You're going to be able to found your life on what I have said. And I, I am going to rescue you. So what a joy it is to let our light shine before others. What a joy it is to live salty lives, to be the salt of the earth. What a joy it is to love our enemies. What a joy it is to fight against anxiety. What a joy it is to ask and seek and knock to our Heavenly Father. What a joy it is to know not only the content, the content of this preacher, but to see his life, to see his death, to see his resurrection, to see his love for sinners. So what do we do? What do we do? He wants us to follow him. He wants us to treasure him. He wants us to obey him. Do you remember how the Sermon on the Mount started? Blessed are what? Bill already mentioned this. He kind of stole my thunder. The poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is not looking for those who have life all together. He's not looking for those who are proud and, and confident and all about themselves. He is looking for those who are poor in spirit. He said, congratulations if you've realized that there's a path that leads to destruction and you want to get off of it. Congratulations if you realize you need to get out of this house on the sand and get into this house on the rock. So today, maybe what the Lord is calling you to is repentance. Lord, forgive me because I have not obeyed you. 
forgive me because my life is not founded on the rock. I am the fool. Forgive me because what you have called me to in this sermon, I am unable to follow. And what Jesus is saying, congratulations. Come into my kingdom. Blessed are you. Look to me. Hear what I have to say. See my life for you and enjoy more than anything knowing me and living out, having genuine belief in me and living out all my teaching, putting it into practice. And then we can sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for giving us what we do not deserve. I pray, Lord, as a church, that we would be able to not only hear this teaching this morning, to hear ultimately your word this morning, but I pray that we would faithfully put it into practice for our lives, that we would be the wise man, that our lives would be built on the rock. Oh, Lord, our hope is in you. We look to you. We trust in you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Jake Simmons during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.